for your help today. We're going to go ahead and dismiss our, our children for Children's Church. If they want to go ahead and meet their teachers out in the, the foyer area. Just give me a second to put myself together here. Who are we kidding? I might need more than a second. We've been in a series over the last several weeks called Built to Last about building lives that last. And uh, we're going to finish up that series today in a sermon that I, I've, I've called Little by Little. And uh, I want to share some things that are on my heart and uh, my prayer through this week has been, Lord, help me not to ramble. Um, and so my prayer again today is, Lord, help me not to ramble. But before we get into that message, I want to draw your attention to uh, these things that we, these flyers that we put in your mailboxes or in your in your program. Um, over the last two weeks, we've talked about what it is to be planted in the house of God. And uh, if you have missed those uh, sermons, I'd draw your attention back uh, to them. They're on our website. They're on our app. Uh, there are CDs available that you can take. But as we've talked about what it is to be planted in the house of God over um, a course of, of many years as, as pastoral staff and as uh, leaders and deacons in, in this body, we have been trying to um, wrap our minds around what it is to be a disciple, a follower of Christ. You know, nowhere in the scripture does it tell us as believers to go and make converts. It tells us to go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything we've commanded. And so, um, you know, it just seems fitting for me to be able to put this in terms of uh, running in a marathon. I don't know if you've ever run in a marathon or thought about running in a marathon or maybe dream about running in a marathon, um, but this walk we have with God, Paul in the scripture compares that to running in a race, and that race in my mind is not a 100-meter dash, it's a marathon, it's a, a long haul, and there are so many lessons we learn in faith uh, through this idea of running in a marathon, and so in, in our body, this is our hope as leaders. This is what we hope for those of us who attend here on First Assembly of God. We recognize in this room today, there are what we call spectators. Just like at any marathon, there's a spectator. And to us, a spectator is someone who has interest in spiritual things, but hasn't chosen to run the race God has for them yet. And these people will attend weekly worship gatherings and Bible studies, and they'll connect with others who attend here on First, and they'll investigate the teachings of the Bible, and they'll investigate here on first and they'll seek a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ and they are what we call spectators and if you are a spectator you are welcome at here on first we want you here because every good race requires spectators but can I tell you this Jesus did not give his life for you to be a spectator He's got something more in mind for you and for me than just being a spectator. He wants us to be participants. And a participant is someone who's chosen to start running the race God has for them. And they do that by surrendering to the lordship of Jesus Christ and being baptized in water. That's step one. 
And that's God's will and plan for every one of us. They do that by praying and reading the Bible and giving regularly. They do it by attending First Things First class and inviting others to attend here on First and by seeking a deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit. And in no way am I saying that your entrance into heaven is dictated by whether or not you attend First Things First class or whether you become a part of here on First. But as we've covered over the last several weeks, there is some benefit, there is some necessity to be planted in the house of God in a local church I don't believe that God's plan for us stops at being a participant you say well what's the difference between a participant and a competitor well I'm glad you asked because I run in a lot of road races and I actually organize a road race in town and there are what we call participants There are people who sign up because they just want to have fun. You know, they just want to be involved. I mean, the fact that anybody gets off the couch and runs a 5K or walks two miles, that's a pretty impressive thing because you're already way above average on that. And so there are people that are participants. Now, but people who want to compete because there's prizes involved or if it's just in your blood you just want to be better than you were the last time out and so you get the competitive juices flowing and so in order to do that you can't just sign up the day before the race okay I'm, I'm planning to run a marathon this Saturday up in Fargo and I've, I've been working on it for months I didn't just today decide I'm going to run in a marathon in Fargo I had to plan my days and let me tell you something I wanted to do this But there were days that I didn't want to do this. I don't know if you've ever run 20 miles, but it's not fun. And somewhere along a 20-mile run, I said to myself, why am I doing this? And it was the hardest thing I could ever imagine. But then a few days ago, I ran a 12-mile run, and it seemed so easy. And I thought, you know, six months ago, a 12-mile run would have been the hardest thing ever. But now, compared to a 20-mile run, it's not so bad. And so to be a competitor in this race with the Lord, in, in our walk with Him, we have to run with discipline. We have to run with endurance. We have to run with excellence. And we define that by applying for membership, by reading and obeying the Bible's teachings daily, by committing to serve in ministry within the body, by developing a personal testimony and beginning to share our faith regularly, by committing to tithe and make a faith promise and grow in the grace of giving. Now we've stepped it up. Now we're not just a participant in this thing, but we're a competitor in this thing. And I don't think it even stops there. I think what God's design for us is to be pace setters. Somebody who wants to help someone else finish their course by developing a plan for accountability and growth and by attending leadership training and by co-leading a ministry or group or mission or becoming a mentor for someone else. If you've never run into marathon, there are these people who are called pace setters. And so I, I know the picture of my pace setter. It's on fargomarathon.com. I see his face and I know his name and I'm going to meet him on Friday and he is going to help me hit my goal I hope he's going to run what I want to run and if I run with him he's not going to take me too fast he's not going to take me too slow he's going to take me down this path to reach my goal And that's what the Lord calls for us to do, to be that in the body of Christ for one another. Someone who can come along, someone else, and say, here, let me help you set the pace for your life. I love the Bible study that our women are going to work on this summer about learning the tempo of life together. 
the rhythm of grace. Ladies, I encourage you to stop by the Welcome Center and sign up to be a part of that Bible study this summer and together become pace setters for each other to learn how to set the tempo God has for your life. The other part in there is our ministry registration form. We encourage you to, to sign up for how God wants to lead you to serve in this coming year. And we've talked about this at great length over the last couple of weeks, and I don't want to go into to great detail on this sheet, but there are areas in hospitality, there's areas in helps, there's areas in groups, and music ministry, and outreach, and nursery, and Sunday school, and youth, and children's church, and impact. And here's the thing, don't just, don't just go by what you feel. Because you may not feel like doing something, but genuinely seek the Lord and say, Lord, where do you want me to serve? And even where can I serve? See, in Pentecostal circles, if we don't feel led to do something, we don't do it. But as we talked about last week, as a part of the body of Christ, if I have the time, if I have the ability, and I see a need, I ought to take care of that need. Now, some overtax themselves. And you don't have time. But if you have time and you have the resources available to do something, maybe it's time to just take that step and do it whether you feel led to do it or not. Does that make sense? If you've signed up for ministry in the past, uh, if you notice our Adopt the Room, this is new to the, the sheet this year, the cleaning program that we've established as we've wa walked through this year. Um, if you've already signed up for an area to clean, uh, re-sign up on this sheet. Okay, this is your one-year commitment. You're signing this sheet, and please don't be afraid of that. I know that the C word is something we are all afraid of, um, commitment. But we're asking for one year, what do you want to do? How do you want to serve this body? Does that mean that there's no escape clause if uh, in this year you just are overwhelmed and overtaxed and you got to step aside? There's an escape clause, okay? Come and see us. We'll walk you through it. We'll talk you through it. We'll help you with it. If you want to talk through this sheet with us, we'd love to sit down with you over the next couple of weeks and talk through this sheet with you. But uh, if, even if you've been a part of something in the past, again, please re-sign up for it. Fill this sheet out. Um, drop it in the offering basket. Give it back to myself or Pastor John over the next couple of weeks. And uh, we'll go ahead and begin to put together what God wants us to do in this coming year. But here's the thing. As pastors, we're called to equip the body to do ministry. And so we have to take these sheets and decide what the Lord wants us to do in ministry here. Now, here's the thing. In years past, we get to get frustrated because we have more ministries than we have people on this sheet. Well, here's, here's my plan for this year. If it's not on this sheet, then obviously we can't do it. And so things might change around here a little bit. And that's okay. Because I would rather things change a little bit than take maybe three or four people and completely stress them out and burn them out. Because they feel guilty that nobody else is doing it, so we gotta have somebody do it. And they don't have the time or the resource, but they'll do it anyway until they crack. And then we don't have them, and we don't have that ministry. And so nothing on this sheet is set in stone, but this is what we've done in the past, and if God moves on your heart, fill that out, turn it in, 
And uh, over the summer months, we'll put together what this next year is going to look like as God leads you and as God leads us. And so uh, we'll kind of walk through that. Today, um, there's so much, like I said, there's so much on my heart because I'm going to be gone for a few weeks. Um, some of you have asked, where, where are you going? Well, let me tell you where I'm going. This weekend, I'm going to Fargo and I'm going to run a marathon. So um, get up early on Saturday morning and pray hard for three and a half hours from 7.30 till 11. Pray for wonderful temperatures and no wind in Fargo, North Dakota. And uh, that will help out immensely. And uh, that's the plan. I'm going up there to run in a marathon. And uh, the next weekend, I'll be in Sioux Falls for state track. And uh, I'll get to be a spectator instead of a uh, competitor. And so I'm going to be a part of that. But my anniversary date for being in the church is in June. And so I've got two weeks of vacation, and uh, I noticed that I've got this marathon, and I've got the state track meet, and uh, uh, the, the kids are out of school now, and so we're going to take some time as a family at the end of this year, because I've got vacation time that if I don't use, I lose, and so I'm going to use. And uh, then in June, um, the kids and I are going to head to uh, Pennsylvania, and I have a nephew that's graduating, and so we're going to go over there and uh, be with family and be with them. And uh, it'll be a great time. And so um, I don't remember what the day is, but pray and fast during those two days as the kids and I drive across the country to Pennsylvania. And uh, we're going to have a great time. And uh, so that's where we're going. And uh, pray for us as we're gone. And uh, I'll be back. And uh, I want to share these things with you as I'm leaving. I'm, uh, you know, I it's not like I'm going forever, but I just feel like there's something that's been in, on my heart for, for so many weeks, and uh, I just feel like I need to get it off, off of my heart and give it to you before we head out. And so Second um, Peter chapter 1, if you have a Bible, that's where we're going to go. Second Peter chapter 1, if you need a Bible, there are some provided for you in the, the pew in front of you. We're going to start reading in verse 3. This is a letter that the Apostle Peter is written to uh, churches in, during the New Testament time, and uh, he's, he's encouraging them, he's giving them some truth to kind of bank their lives on, and I believe it fits so well with the things that uh, the Lord has already spoken to us today uh, through the songs that we've sung, through the words that have been shared, and uh, this is what it says. Peter writes in verse 3, by his divine power... God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Do you see that it doesn't say God will give us everything we need? It says God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We've received all of this by coming to know him. That means the moment we surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and we come to know God as our Father again, in that moment when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, we receive everything we need for living a godly life. The one who called us to himself by means of his glory, marvelous glory and excellence. Verse four, because of these, his glory and excellence, he's given us great and precious promises these are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and to escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. 
Did you notice that the corruption of the world is not caused by Satan? That the corruption of the world is not caused by the people around you? The corruption of the world is caused by our own evil desires. James says this. See, if there are no evil desires within me, then Satan can tempt me all day long and it doesn't matter. It's only when the desire within me is present that I fall prey to temptation. But God has given us everything we need through promise form, potentially, in the person of the Holy Spirit, everything I need to participate in the divine nature, the nature of Jesus himself, the nature of God, and to escape the corruption in this world that's caused by my evil desires. He's given me all that I need for that. So in view of this, here's what he says to do, verse five. Make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. Moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for anyone. Now this is in no way an exhaustive list of all of the things and characteristics we should develop as Christians. This is not an exhaustive list of all the characteristics of God himself. Okay, this is just a list. And Peter's giving us examples. And let me tell you thing: everything on this list exists in your life and mine today through the person of the Holy Spirit. Moral excellence in all of its form is, is dwelling inside of me today. Godliness, all of it inside of me today. <coughs> Patient endurance inside of me today because of the person of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of me. Does that make sense? The question is whether or not I'm gonna live it out. Because look at verse eight. The more we grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind. You know what short-sighted means? It means you only see right here. Now, right here could be 50 years. Because with God, a day is like a thousand years. And so if we fail to develop these qualities, if we fail to understand that even in the midst of whatever circumstance I'm in right now, I have everything I need to overcome that through the Holy Spirit within me. And if I don't develop that, if I don't put that into practice, in that situation, I'm either blind Spiritually, I don't see it all, or I'm short-sighted, meaning that I'm more concerned with temporary than eternal. I'm short-sighted or blind. Forgetting that they've been cleansed from their old sins, their old life. So dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you're really among those God has called and chosen. And do these things and you'll never fall away. And God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ. Now, in no way is it saying that we earn our salvation, but it is reminding us that in order to grow this way, in order to be more productive and more useful, in order to never fall away, in order to, to get a grand entrance into the kingdom of the Lord, then we have to work hard at that. 
Now, when I say that you have everything you need for living a godly life, that's a simple statement. And as we talked about in Sunday school this morning, as we talked about in Wednesday night, as we've gone through this study by Heath Adamson about living this Christian life and seeing the burning bush, I'm going to tell you this. It's a simple thing. Serving the Lord is simple, but it is not easy. Everything you need for life and godliness is within you through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. That's simple. In fact, you might be sitting there right now and saying, Pastor, you're oversimplifying it. No, it is this simple. But do not mistake that with being easy because it's not. Knowing the right thing to do is simple. It's easy to, to, to know it. It's one thing, to, it's another thing to put it into practice. Does that make sense? If you remember our discussion from Wednesday night, there's two people on the screen right now. Both of them have the exact same number of muscles in their body. Those muscles are the exact same muscles. Obviously, one of them has done more to develop those muscles than others. See, the potential in the top guy is there. But if he doesn't exercise his muscles, they will stay in that form. And some of us as believers, we have everything we need to look like the bottom guy. But we still look like the top guy because we don't exercise it. See, we get into a situation and we feel frustrated or impatient. And so we're like, Lord, give me patience. And he's like, I already have. Because patience is a fruit of the Spirit. And where's the Spirit? In me. And I need to exercise patience in that moment. I don't care if I feel impatient. I've been given what I need to act patiently. And here's the thing. Your patience doesn't grow when you come to the altar and I pray, I lay hands on you and I pray for patience to grow in your life. It, it doesn't grow. You know when it grows? When you are in a situation feeling impatient and yet you respond patiently. Then it grows. And so the Lord in his sovereignty will lead us or allow us to move into situations where we have to exercise our spiritual muscles. Now, all of us would like to just look like that bottom guy spiritually, maybe physically too, but spiritually, but we, we don't want to do what's necessary to get there. We would rather someone just wave their hand over us and pray and poof, there we are. We would rather pray one time and God instantly answer our prayers, poof, there it is. But here's the thing, just like you're not going to walk into a gym and just say, I'd like to order this. They'll show you how to get there, but it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in a week. You know the funniest thing? In, in a weight room, there's always a mirror because you just want to see yourself when you're lifting weights. And the skinny guys, always, we always feel like we're so defined and so big. And, but put us next to this guy, and it's like, eh. I mean, we've come a long way from what we used to be, but we're not quite where we need to be. And so spiritually, this is where we want to go. And, and Peter says, God's given you everything you need. 
He's given you the moral excellence, the godliness, the self-control that you need. And look what Paul says to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The temptations in your life are no different than what others experience. And God is faithful. You gotta think of God as our weight trainer now. And he is not going to put more on that bar than he knows you can get up. But I don't know if you've ever been in a weight room, but at times you hear a lot of grunting and yelling and as they try to push that bar because they put just enough on there that they can barely get that thing up because they want to tax themselves to the point where they can barely get it up and they've got someone standing there spotting them, ready to help them if they can't quite get it up. And that's God. He knows the exact amount of weight to put on that bar. But here's the thing. Peter says, work hard. Peter says, make every effort. You're not just going to go in the weight room and go like this spiritually. You're going to grunt and you're going to, you're going to, you're developing your spiritual muscles. But here's the thing. You're not changing your circumstance. You're not changing the people around you. See, we think, I need to change the people around me, I need to change my circumstance, and then I'll be better. No, God says, those things are helping you develop spiritual muscles. I'm using them. I didn't bring it into your life. I didn't say, ha ha, let me show you. But I knew that people were gonna treat you this way. I knew that this was coming. I knew that Satan had asked to sift you like wheat. But let me tell you something. I've prayed for you. Just like Jesus said to Peter, Peter, the enemy has asked to sift you like wheat, but Peter, I've said, no way. That's not what he said. He said, I prayed for you, Peter, that your faith will not fail. And then after you've turned back, that you strengthen your brothers too. That's the promise of God. He is faithful. He's providing us a way out. He's providing us a way to exercise our moral excellence, to exercise our godliness, to exercise our self-control. You do not need to pray for more self-control. You need to pray for grace to use the self-control you have. You say, well, that's just, you know, you're just playing with words now. No, if you don't believe you have it, you won't exercise it. You'll keep asking for it. You'll keep blaming other people. Well, I only flew off the handle because of so-and-so. No, you have the self-control you need not to fly off the handle no matter who pushes your buttons. And the Bible says, be grateful that people push your buttons because it helps you develop perseverance. You have perseverance. It's in you. You just need to develop it. Little by little. Our choices make a difference. 2 Timothy chapter 2 says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Run from it. Pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Ephesians 3, there shouldn't even be a hint of sexual immorality, any kind of impurity or any type of greed. Just because we have self-control does not mean we should put ourselves in compromising situations. The Bible calls that foolish. Instead, run from those things. Brotherly affection, Peter says. Love for everyone. We love to pray for this one. Oh, Lord, give me brotherly affection. Give me love for people. I have. The Holy Spirit, who has love for everyone, lives in us. 
And now we need to act on it. See, we are waiting for the emotion. I'm waiting to feel brotherly affection towards you before I act in brotherly affection for you. That's not going to happen. I wish it would. I wish we could just ask for it and it would come and it would all be better. But here's the thing. We don't grow that way. Our muscles developed when we do what we've been enabled to do. I can feel all kinds of anger, resentment, hatred, bitterness, fear, all kinds of feelings, and still act in brotherly affection and love towards people. I can. Why? Because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. But see, you and I want to go from point A to point B very quickly. We want to look like the muscle man, but we don't want to exercise our spiritual muscles, right? I, 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 that's me. The Israelites are a great example of this. God delivers them from Egypt. He takes them out of sin, if you will, our, in our vernacular, and he wants to bring them into the promised land. But you know, there's a whole lot of stuff that took place between Egypt and the promised land, right? It was a lot longer than God really wanted it to be, but even the journey God had in mind was longer than just a day. Look at what it says in Exodus chapter 13. When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. See, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He will not lead you on the shortest route, even though we think the shortest route would be better. God knows the shortest route is not going to work for us. And so he leads us a different way. And sometimes we get frustrated with that, don't we? We want to get there quick. Come on, God. I asked for this, today would be a good day to respond. And God's like, no, 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 I've got a plan and, I've got a per- and I'm leading you. You gotta trust me. I know where I'm leading you. So he led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness. Oh, for crying out loud, there's gotta be a better way than the wilderness. A tree is not gonna put down deep roots if water is readily available to it. If you want to put down deep roots, God is going to lead you through some wilderness moments in your life. But God, I want to, have, I want to go deep with you. And then the next week, you're like, God, why can't I hear your voice? And he's like, well, I thought you asked me to go deep. <laughs> we don't even know what we're asking for when we ask it, do we? God, I want you to take me deeper, deeper. And the Lord gets quieter and quieter, and he's like, come on, you want to go deeper? I'm taking you deeper. Now you have to drill. Oh, but I thought this was, I thought you were just going to just make it. But here's the thing. That's a great prayer to pray. And the only reason you're praying a prayer like that is because the Holy Spirit inside of you is yearning to be closer to the Lord than you are right now. And so he's drawing that to the surface. And we pray it, but then we get confused because it seems like, Lord, I asked you to take me deeper and now you're not talking to me. And the enemy comes and says, it's because you've sinned. 
or it's because you know, you, you've got something wrong in your life. Or he'll come and say all sorts of stuff and God's like, no, it's because I'm taking you deeper. Trust me, I know where I'm leading you. So he led the Israelites out of Egypt like an army ready for battle. They were like an army ready for battle, but not ready for battle. Then in chapter 14, look what it says. Right after that, the Lord then gave these instructions to Moses. Order the Israelites to turn back and camp at Piharoth between Migdal and the sea. Camp there along the shore across from Baal Zephon. Then Pharaoh will think the Israelites are confused. They're trapped in the wilderness. And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after you. I've planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. And, and after this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites camped there as they were told. Do you read that? The Lord purposely put them right by the Red Sea. He backed them in. And he has Pharaoh chasing them down. He has put them in a position of no hope. The Lord, who loves them, who's faithful, who delivered them from Egypt, put them in a no-win situation right here. They're back against the wall. But he's hoping that their deliverance from Egypt, the plagues that they saw, the way God carried them to this point, the fact that he's led them safely to this point in the wilderness, will just begin to grow in their hearts and they're gonna be able to trust him in this moment. But do they trust him in this moment? No. They begin to cry out to Moses and complain against Moses. See, we sometimes get in what we call a dead end or an impossible situation and we think, so-and-so put me there. This person put me there. This, it's because of that person or this person or it's because of a bad choice I made. Or because, but here's the thing. It doesn't matter how you got there. God, who is sovereign, understands where you are. And he doesn't, it, he's not gonna look down from heaven and say, well, you got yourself into this mess, so I'm gonna stop being faithful now. I've been faithful for 2,000 years, but today I stop. But pastor, I was unfaithful. That's how I got in this mess in the first place. If you just lift your voice and cry out to him, God will be faithful to you. And what's he do? He parts the Red Sea and they walk through on dry ground and then the, the, entire, Israel, or the entire Egyptian army is drowned. And so look what they do. When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptian, they were filled with awe before him. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses, and they had church. Man, they danced and they sang and they had tambourines and they were so excited. Here's what I believe. Quick deliverance equals shallow faith. Quick deliverance equals shallow faith. I mean, I love quick deliverance. I love it when the first time you pray for something, dry ground appears and you walk through and you think, man, nothing could shake my faith now. But that's not where real faith develops. It develops in the wilderness. Now, don't stop asking for dry. When you're up against the Red Sea and, the, and Pharaoh's coming, keep crying out to the Lord. But don't think that you can't stand firm 
when the army keeps getting closer and closer and you feel more and more pressure, you can stand firm in that moment and trust that God sees you and he will deliver you. James chapter one says, brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. And you know when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. When your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. All of us wanna be mature and complete and need nothing, but we don't all want our endurance to grow. In fact, we don't want to be in those situations that make our endurance grow. But God says, you look at those situations and you consider them an opportunity for joy because your endurance is going to grow. So in chapter 15, after they had church, they traveled three days and there was no water. And God puts a few more weights on the bar. Three days and no water, traveling in the wilderness. The people who had put their faith in God and in Moses complained and turned against Moses. What are we going to drink, they demanded. You see, they're still not growing. God's putting more and more weight on the bar, but they're not putting the bar up. They're not, Moses cries out to the Lord, and the Lord shows his faithfulness again. You, you, you bear with me. So Moses throws the piece of wood in the water. It makes it good to drink. And it's before there, the look at what the Lord says. The Lord set before them this decree as a standard to test their faithfulness. If you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands, keeping his decrees, I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. See, God is trying to bring them into a deeper relationship with himself. He's revealing himself. I'm the Lord that heals you, and I'm gonna protect you from diseases so you learn that. But you know what? They never learned that. Quick deliverance, protection from the Lord, doesn't help us know him like the wilderness moments do. I'll explain it in a moment. In Luke chapter 18, we're told a story about learning to pray and not giving up. And it tells us at the end of this story that God will avenge those who cry out to him day and night and he'll avenge them quickly. But when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? See, when we find ourselves in a situation where we need God to intervene, we need to cry out day and night for God to intervene, for God to give us justice, for God to bring healing, for God to bring deliverance, for God to restore that relationship. We need to cry out day and night for that. But here's the thing. We need to keep walking in obedience even while we wait for that thing to happen. See, some of us think, I gotta be put on a shelf until I get my healing. I gotta be put on a shelf until I get what I need. Can I tell you something? Jesus, in the darkest moment of his life, reached down and picked up a man's ear that had been cut off and he brought healing to Malchus. In the darkest moments of your life, you are not put on a shelf. God can use you to bring deliverance to other people, even in your darkest moments, and through that, develop in you the perseverance and character you need to enter into the promised land. But if we believe that we can't do it, I, I gotta wait for my circumstance to change. I gotta wait for this to happen and then I'll be able to do it. No, you've been given everything you need right now for life and godliness. 
You can stand up under that thing. You can learn how to fight for your victory by crying out day and night, not giving up. Well, I guess the Lord just wants to teach me patience. Yeah, he absolutely wants to teach you patience through that hardship, but he doesn't want that hardship to last forever. He wants us to learn how to overcome those hardships. That's what he's talking about in Luke chapter 18. So then the Israelites continue on their journey. Chapter 16. They set out and they journey into the wilderness of sin and they arrived on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. But there too, the whole community of Israel complained again about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt. There, we sat around pots filled with meat. We ate all the bread we wanted, but now you've brought us into this wilderness to starve to death. And the Lord said to Moses, I'm gonna rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. And I will test them to see whether they'll follow my instructions. See, you gotta understand this. They're still not getting it. They're still not understanding that God wants them to trust him. I mean, after all they've seen, they're still not understanding, but God is so faithful. And he says, okay, they're complaining against you again. They're still not getting it, but I'm gonna rain down food. I'm gonna provide food for them. I'm gonna take the next step. I'm gonna, God wants them to develop the type of character they need. This is why he's leading them through the wilderness. Remember, they're not journeying because of their sin yet. This is the prescribed path that God has chosen for them to try to teach them to trust him, to try to teach them that he's gonna provide for them, to try to teach them to cry out to him. He's like, I know you need food, you need water. I know you're in pain. You've got pressure right now, but here's what I want you to learn. Just cry out to me. Just trust that I love you. Trust that I care about you. Trust that I am fully aware of your situation. Stop blaming Moses. Stop blaming Aaron. Stop blaming everyone else. Trust me. I know you're pinned down, but I can provide for you if you'll just cry out to me. And he tries to teach them this. Why does he try to teach them this? Because if they don't learn this, they won't go into the promised land. And you know what happened to that generation? They came to the edge of the promised land. They sent the spies in and what happened? We can't, we can't go in there. They got to the very edge of the thing God had promised them for hundreds of years, but they didn't have the character to go in. And all of them had to die in the wilderness because they refused to develop the character that would have given them what they wanted. So you and I pray And we think God should just dispense answers like candy. And God says, I'm gonna put the answer right here. And if you would just allow me to shape and mold you, you would be able to walk right into what it is you want. I I wanna give it to you so badly, but here's the thing. The doorway is the very thing you're fighting against. The very thing you won't do is actually the doorway into the thing you're asking for. And the entire generation dies in the wilderness. And not only that, but they glorify the past. Here's the funny thing. When we get into pressure situations, we have a tendency to make the past look better than it really was. Oh, in Egypt, 
We sat around pots with so much food. And we're slaves. Are you kidding me? Did you ever hear that? Where people are in a tough situation or they're in, they're in this, uh, their second bad marriage and they start to say, well, man, my first marriage, man, it was so good. I don't know why I walked away from it. And, but if you would have heard them talk about the first marriage when they left it, it would have sounded a whole lot like this one. But now that I'm in this situation, the past, oh, it was so glorious back there. Back then, it went the way it used to be. We do that in church too. We have a pastor that we don't like and man, I remember the pastor that was here before. Oh, he was such a great man. Yeah, so great we ran him out of town. But it's funny how when we're in a pressure situation, the past always looked better than it really was. But God wants to bring us into the thing that he's promised for us. Everything we need for life and godliness is with us. We are hard pressed on every side but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not given to despair. We're hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. We find ourselves, you and I, in situations just like the people of Israel. We find ourselves pinned in against the Red Sea and against Pharaoh. We find ourselves wandering with no food and no water. We find ourselves in these pressure moments with fear and despair. And everything we need for life and godliness is in us. And God says, just act on it. Now, I'm not talking about trying to force things to happen. I'm talking about being faithful and obedient to God in the midst of it. Because you may not be able to change your circumstance. You may not be able to change the people around you, but you can grow into who God wants you to become. In the Old Testament, don't worry, I'm almost done. In the Old Testament, God has given names, Jehovah Rapha, our healer. And he's given them to, through experience. See, the people of Israel were supposed to come to know Jehovah Rapha, the healer, because he prevented them from getting disease. But guess what? They didn't learn it. They didn't give God credit for keeping disease from them. They didn't enter the promised land. They never grew into that relationship. Do so you know how you come to know Jehovah Rapha, the healer? You have to be sick. We all want to know the healer, but how many of you today would like to be inflicted with the sickness so that you can know the healer? But God does not give you sickness so you can know him as healer. But here's the thing. God knows that sickness comes, and God wants to use sickness to reveal himself as healer. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Oh, I want to know Jehovah. We sing a song, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, but I don't want to be in need. I mean, I would love to know Jehovah Jireh, my provider, but without having my back against the wall and bill collectors hunting me down. I don't want to be in a pressure situation. I just want to know you in an easy way. Jehovah Sidkenu, our righteousness. Oh, I want to know God is my righteousness. But could I have that without the temptation? It can't happen. We cannot come to know God like this from a book or from a sermon or from a conference. We come to know it through experience. 
And in that moment when everything is pushing in on me, I have to remind myself that everything I need for life and godliness is within me through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I gotta breathe in his grace and I've just got to stand today on the promise that God is going to bring me through. And I've got to be obedient to him. When I'm in a financial crisis, it's not the time to stop tithing. It's the time to keep tithing and cut cable. It's, the kind of, it's time to start eating beans and rice and saying, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I can to stop getting into debt. But God, I, I need your help. I need, I'm, I'm pressed here. I made this mess all of my own accord. I'm pinned in. I need you to part the sea. But I'm gonna keep being faithful while I wait for that thing to part. I can because you've enabled me to do it. Everything we need for life and godliness is in us through the power of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the power that raised Christ from the dead. It's in our lives. It really is this simple but it really isn't easy. I know what it is to be in a pressure cooker situation. Just this last week, I found myself in a situation that I've been in before, and I got tired of being in the wilderness, if you will. And I got tired of going around the same thing. And so I reached out to someone, and I I basically... uh, just vented all my frustration and um and then they I, I went for a run you know the best thing to do when you're at the end of your rope is go for a 12 mile run some of you pray you never get to the end of your rope but i i i had listened to a sermon from a friend of mine before and i'm like you know i need to hear that again i need to hear that again I've heard it before, I've heard it a couple times before, but I need to hear it again. So I purposely put these two sermons on and I went for a 12 mile run. And when I came to the end of the 12 mile run, I knew what I needed to do. I, the feeling hadn't changed. I still was in, I'm still right here where I was before, but I instantly knew what I needed to do. And, and the help I was asking for from the person that I had cried out to wasn't what God wanted me to do. And so the person called me back, but the, I was on the run when they called back. And so I sent him a message that said, I don't have time to call you today. I don't want your help. Uh, 12 miles and Brian Jarrett helped me process things. And I know what the Lord wants us to do, pray. And that's what I did. I know what it's like to be in that pressure situation and to cry out and grumble like the children of Israel did. That's what I did. But I didn't stay there. I refused to stay there. God wants to to teach us to depend on him. He wants to teach us that he is our provider, that he is our help, that he is our healer. The question is, how far do we want our faith to grow? Because he wants to take us deep, but it might not look like we think it's gonna look. I want you to stand with me as we get ready to close today. It seems like every person I talk to today either is someone or has someone close to them that's in a moment where they just feel overwhelmed. Part of it might just be our culture. You know, we as Americans have run ourselves ragged and to the edge 
And now we're just like at the end of our rope and we don't know exactly what to do. And so there's so many of us that are in these pressure moments of life and we don't know how to respond. Wherever you are, however you got there, God is fully aware of it. And he wants to help deliver us. He wants to reveal himself. question is, will we cry out to him? Will we trust him in those moments? And so, Father, today, we look to you. We want to put our trust in you. God, I pray especially today for those whose back is against the wall. They've got the Red Sea on one side, and they've got the armies of Egypt pursuing them on the other. God, I pray for them that as as this moment sifts them, I pray that their faith would not fail. And God, I pray that when you bring them through this moment, that they in turn now are going to be able to strengthen others around them because of it. Father, I thank you that you've given us today everything we need for life and godliness. And as you lead us to the edge of our promised land, I pray that we have the character that we need to walk into that moment. Help us to stop looking back. Help us to lose that slave mentality. Help us in those moments to remind ourselves, God, that you are good. The cross forever stands as a reminder that you love us, that you are always working for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. God, help us in these moments not to fail to develop the character that's gonna get us to where we really wanna be. Holy Spirit, I pray that you take these words in this moment and that you'd put them deep in our hearts and you'd use them to transform our minds and our lives from this day forward. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. If you wanna be, if you want someone to pray for you or you wanna pray, we're gonna keep these altars open for you. Our prayer team will stay for a few moments and uh, we'd love the opportunity to pray for you if you've not been prayed for yet. If you need to be dismissed, just do it quietly. Let this be a place of prayer for those who want to stay for a few more moments. God bless you as you go.